And just like that, the most decorated team in the Canadian Hockey League becomes just a little bit more decorated. A 10th Ontario Hockey League championship for the Peterborough Peets, who also, by the way, tend to go to the Memorial Cup final when they reach the final tournament. Six times of their nine times have the Peets reached the final game, but they've only won it once. So that's not the best part of the record, but 10 OHL championships for the Peets as we welcome you to this next episode of the OHL podcast. My name is Mike Farwell, that guy over there, Dan Mahar. No Owen Beck, no problem for the Peets, Dansky? Yeah, I guess, eh? And uh, first off, congratulations to Mike Oak, Rob Wilson, the whole Peterborough Peets franchise, obviously the players. What a, what a performance, this whole playoffs from that team. Uh, like you said, it's that, I guess, next man up philosophy. And boy, were there some big performances in trying circumstances. And they always talk about if you're going to win, you have to beat it, face and beat adversity. And and Peterborough sure can say they did that in this playoff run. And uh, yeah, what a what a what a great job by them. Boy, you talk about performances, and ours went south in a hurry when it came to predictions as the playoffs wore on. I started like a house on fire. I think I was eight for eight in the first round, and then we got the. OHL final dead wrong. I had the Knights in five. You had the Knights in six. And and I think it just speaks to, it wasn't supposed to be this way, right? There was a lot of hand wringing. And I think understandably so in Peterborough when the Brennan Othman trade was made early and it didn't seem to turn the team in the direction everybody thought it was going to turn. And I know we've documented this, so we don't have to keep going back over the old ground, but I'll just remind you one more time that this Pete's team was in a little bit, not, it wasn't like neck and neck, but it was a little bit of a battle for even fourth place and home ice advantage coming into the playoffs. They end up as a four seed now going all the way to, and then winning the OHL title in six games. Yeah. Well, I guess when you go to those predictions for a second there, Mike, you being a Leaf fan, you came out of the gates hot and then blew it at the very end. Me being a Habs fan, I just blew it right away so I could enjoy the rest of my uh, playoffs. But yeah, no, it was uh, it, it the thing with Pierre Repeats, and we've referenced this a bunch of times. And uh, I swear to you, I had a number of people that follow the OHL carefully that told me that, that Pierre Repeats are the best team and certainly the best top end and forward group. Uh, it, it's kind of hard to argue that. And that wasn't necessarily hindsight for those folks because they told me that before the playoffs. So I, I wasn't disagreeing with them so much as it was hard to to see this happening based on the season they had uh just consistently coming up a little bit short of what they should have finishing fourth amongst four in those big four in the east in the in the regular season and having to take down all those giants you thought i don't know i started to have some doubts there but uh again that piece that gnawed at me at the back of my head Mike was always they were built for the playoffs they were a team that was built for the playoffs the back end was built for the playoffs and and we sure saw that did we not you're reading my mind on that because I was going to say that very thing as much as you like the top end talent and the firepower that was up front for me this OHL championship was defined by the blue line and what else can you say too about Michael Simpson and goal well my yeah I mean I don't know. We talk about these players, Mike, that were under the radar all year. And there was a few. There was a few. I mean, we, re- we referenced uh, Amadeus Lombardi and Flint. And there was a few of these guys all year that you just see. You know, these are amazing players that you just don't hear a whole lot about because they're overshadowed. 
Michael Simpson just did it all year, all year. He was there for that team. He was the backbone when they had these big games in the playoffs. He was not giving them anything. He wasn't giving them very many freebies. Uh, just uh, you talk about an under the radar player and Michael Simpson was it for the Peterborough Peets all year. Uh, quick shout out to our friend Matt Smith because Michael Simpson is a student of Matt Smith goaltending who's a good friend of this podcast for sure and yeah I mean you, you look at guys on that Pete's roster I loved Maya on the back end I think Connor Smith goes without saying I thought Cam Govro was a really interesting story this year from North Bay to Saginaw then over to Peterborough obviously having to beat his former team in the East final. And, and I'll go back to what I had said and had long believed contrary to what you said before, not disputing the people that were talking to you, but I thought North Bay was at least the most complete, maybe didn't have the the high octane offense that the, the Pete's have shown themselves to have, but I thought the North Bay battalion, I almost said Centennials were the most complete team uh, in the Eastern conference for sure. But the Pete's proved, I think a lot of people wrong. And I, I just got to, I love it for the city. I really do. The last time of the 10 OHL championships, the Peterborough Peets now have the last one was 2006. That's a long time between titles for a really proud franchise. And of course, the last time they did it in 06, it was over these same London nights. So if anybody has got the Knights number, maybe you can say it's the Peterborough Peets. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, Mike, you just referenced right off the top of that, that statement there, uh, a number of those players that impressed you. I'm Maya, again, another un, unsung hero through that whole playoffs. But when you look at these champion, championship teams to win a championship, to win four series in your league and go to the Memorial Cup, the common thread about any of those teams is that you can pull out 10, 12, 15 names that just impressed you throughout the whole way. So it's a, it's a true team. You're not going to win on one or two players or three or four high-end guys. And I mean, how about Brian Zanetti? How about you, Gavin Waite added a little bit of the flair on the back end when you had a more uh, stay-at-home group? We've already talked at length about Sean Spearing. I mean, you can just, you can have name after name out of that Peterborough lineup and they all just brought it when it counted and next man up, right? You had an injury or two, next man up. And uh, just so impressed up and down that lineup. You know, you mentioned an injury or two. We should talk at least for a moment about Owen Beck. I know not injured, but we started this episode of the OHL podcast by saying no Beck, no problem. Clearly it turned out that way for the Peets, but a couple of things spring to mind for me in the suspension for the remainder of the series, which turned out to just be the one game for Owen Beck. It comes in the final minute of game number five that the London Knights won to make it a six game series with the Pete's winning on home ice. But first of all, Beck maybe dodged a bullet earlier. I know we talked about this last week on the podcast. You didn't love the major that was assessed to him for head checking. So you were probably among the least surprised. There was no suspension, but you're almost, you're almost done for if there is a second transgression, which obviously there was, he gets the suspension. But the other thing I'm asking myself is what the H-E double hockey sticks was Beck even doing out there in a 4-1 game in the final minute? It was over. Move on. I, I, I'm i not sure about that. Yeah, and you know, you like you like to give players like that the benefit of the doubt a couple times. But when it's, when it's the third or fourth transgression of the year, really, I mean, he, he had... Uh, a few reviewed majors this year and and that one, I think he's got to wear. Uh, you, you're a really key player for your team. 
an NHL drafted player who's been really impressive, uh, really impressive year of hockey, really uh, almost made the Habs out of camp, got a game with them during the season, was terrific as a, as a last minute emergency addition to team Canada over Christmas, played a lot of hockey and just did nothing but impress. But if there's one blip on that radar, it's kind of left your team in a bit of lurch there. And uh, right at the end of the championship series for, I'll just say it kind of a bit of a bonehead move there. I mean, you got 30 some seconds left in a game that's over uh, you're just running out the clock there. You can't do anything stupid. And, and, you know, it's kind of one of those heat of the battle. We've talked a lot about slew foots this year in the OHL and how it wasn't always the traditional slew foot, but uh, just can't let that happen. So uh, I'm sure Owen Beck is, is happier than anyone uh, that Peterborough pulled out game six, because had they gone down in that series, he was going to have a long summer. Can I be so bold as to suggest that, in a league where consistency is often asked for from the league, they were consistent. I would say pretty consistent anyway on slew foots from day one to day end when Beck is getting that suspension in the final minute of game number five of the OHL final. Yeah, you know, it's a great point, Mike, because we criticize the league a lot for consistency and other issues. And that's a great point because when I look at the, all the slew foots that were called this year in the league, I mean, to be Brutally honest with you, I don't love the standard that's they're using for Slewfoots. And even the back one, if you had asked me before the season, I said, ah, it's kind of borderline. He didn't really kick out the legs from behind him. It was more kind of the leverage, the upper body. But when I look at the standard they set, it was clearly one, and it was clearly worse than a number that they had suspended for earlier. So when you talk about consistency, that's a great point. The league has set the standard, and it's hard for a player like Beck at this stage to argue he didn't know that was going to be a Slewfoot. So... A reminder, the Peterborough Peets have been to nine Memorial Cups. Six of those times they've been in the final game, but they've only won once. 1979, Bob Atwell had the Memorial Cup winning goal for the Peets. Former guest on this podcast. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Shameless plug. I know Mike Martone, who scored an OHL championship winning goal in game seven versus Guelph on the road in that OHL final Peets storm that went the road team won every single game and Martone, a former guest on this podcast. But I bring this up again, just to remind you 10 now OHL titles for the Peets off to the Memorial cup for that 10th time. They will play against in the tournament, the host Kamloops Blazers, the Western hockey league champion, Seattle Thunderbirds who ousted the Blazers in the Western conference championship for what it's worth. The host Blazers gave the Thunderbirds their toughest test at least in terms of games played with six in that west final seattle then dispatches of the winnipeg ice in five games to earn the memorial cup berth and the western hockey league championship and patrick waugh and the quebec rempart are the fourth team that will be in the tournament so we've got kamloops as host seattle as the dub champs peterborough as the o champs and quebec as the q champs yeah, well, Mike, when you reference that one win and nine attempts record for the Peterborough Peets, it's probably not the right time for me to mention to the folks of Peterborough that the Seattle Thunderbirds and Quebec Ramparts exist because it, it, for those that didn't follow those two leagues, the Quebec League, there were four teams, much like the Ontario Hockey League this year with a number of teams at the top in the arms race, there are four teams that really loaded up. And the team that emerged of those four was going to be a beast. And that was the Quebec Ramparts. They dispatched some really high-end hockey teams. And then out West, 
if you want to talk the Seattle Thunderbirds, uh, there were there were a couple scouts floating around the uh, the league this year that said the Seattle Thunderbirds might be able to beat some AHL teams. They were that good. So Peterborough, if you want to ha- add a second uh, Memorial Cup to your to your trophy case, there you're gonna have to earn it. Uh, I should note that it I had forgotten until just earlier today, the head coach of the Seattle Thunderbirds is none other than Ontario Hockey League graduate, Matt Odette. So there's an OHL connection there in Seattle. Matt Odette, former Kitchen Ranger, and correct, I'm going off the top of my head. Did he not have a stint in Peterborough? I'm, I'm, I could be totally uh, off base here. Uh... Had a stint in the Sioux of all places and then came back to Kitchener. So, okay, sorry, I had yeah. to, I knew there was somewhere, yeah, okay, okay. So Matt Odette, who was a bruising blue liner, has turned into a stellar head coach. And and yeah, so that's a little uh, nostalgia there from the OHL. All right, we would be remiss if we move on to some other topics in this podcast if we didn't at least talk about the London Knights. And for my money and from where I'm sitting, Dan, there are a couple of things to talk about. One that you brought forward earlier when we were discussing this episode, and that is find me the last time a team went this far to an OHL final game six with three different goaltenders as the London Knights did. Yeah. I, I, you'd, you'd be hard pressed. I think to, I certainly racked my brain to think of it and injuries happen. So uh, it's happened before where a starter has been lost, but when you have a starter, the quality of Brett Brochu, who is, really coming into his own the second half of this year he goes down they're calling on zach bowen had some terrific games had a little bit of a stumble then you turn to owen wilmore and he was terrific in the last couple games i mean he did absolutely everything he could to pull that team through so pretty remarkable for a team to be able to to go three goaltenders deep and still get as far as london did so definitely a tip of the cap to them on that all right uh let's talk a little bit more because okay so this is going to come down to it's such a bold move by dale hunter i think to go to owen wilmore we'll get to more of that in just a moment but brett brochu let's not forget like it's crazy when you think about it but his first playoff series win came this season because he was knocked out a year before by the kitchener rangers in the first round And then there was COVID the year before that. And two years before that, playoffs got wiped out. So his first playoff season or playoff series win was this year. And then he goes and posts four shutouts in 11 games, establishing, like of all the goaltenders in London Knights history, Brett Brochu now currently owns the most, the record for most shutouts in a playoff series with four. That's remarkable. You talked about Zach Bowen and his stumble. Yeah. He, he played well, but I, I think Dale Hunter's hand was maybe forced. An 872 win percentage just wasn't cutting it. And then to Owen Wilmore, they go. Before we move on and talk about perhaps the boldness of that coaching decision and where it might tie into another storyline here, let me just let me just say this also about the London Knights. And I'll just put it this way for you, Dan. Uh, Easton Cowan, Denver Barkey, Oliver Bonk, I'm even going to throw Sam Dickinson into the mix. Do you see where I'm going with this? Players that are all going to be back for at least a couple of years. <laughs> right? And so, exactly, you nailed it. And we did not plan that, I promise. But you nailed it. Because, 
and again, to go over some old ground here on the podcast, I was definitely among the people at the beginning of the season saying, where are the goals going to come from in London? This is going to be a little bit of a reset year. I know the London Knights don't rebuild, they reload. But where did this come from? Other than perhaps the style of play that Dale Hunter implemented. But nonetheless, this was supposed to be a reset year, arguably on paper, still was kind of a reset year for the London Knights. And now you've got a group like that who are who have only just begun in this league. So as much as, and I know there are 19 other fan bases who just became Peterborough Pete's fans <laughs> this week because the Pete's knocked off the London Knights, the team that everybody loves to hate. Well, to the other 19 markets in this Ontario Hockey League, brace yourself because <laughs> this core of the next London Knights has only just been assembled. Yeah, that team that just lost in game six of the league final was actually built for next year, folks. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you, you know, it's it, it, you got you can't say enough about the skills development coaching for the London Knights because those players you referenced, uh, Barky and Cowan, and some of these players that come in a little bit relatively unknown weren't tremendously high draft picks, but every one of them that comes through that London night system starts to become a producer over time. Some quicker than others, like those two I just mentioned, but they start to, they, they find ways to get the puck to the net and finish. And, and it's really that system that Dale Hunter has where they, they have the trap, they have the one, two, two, and they, ha- they're really hard to penetrate. They drive other teams nuts. So what ends up happening is other teams start taking some chances and start, start, doing some things you they're uncharacteristic get out of their system to try and penetrate and it affords the London Knights some opportunities so you get those quick strike opportunities and when you have quick feet and kids like Barky and Cowan that can can streak up ice and and put it on net and hit, hit the top corner as well as any of them that that's a system that works and so you just got to credit the London Knights for for continuing to develop and find that talent. Okay, our performers of the week still to come on this episode of the OHL podcast. We answer the question, what is the job of a penalty box attendant anyway? And the former general manager of the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds is suddenly out of work. What does that mean? All of those things (laughs) still to get to. start right there Dan I'm being a little cheeky of course but the former general manager of the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds is none other than Kyle Dubas who was released this past week by the Toronto Maple Leafs they could not agree on a new contract and now look I've heard this from more than one source and and by by source I don't mean insider it's just I've heard more than one person talking about this and I think I get how you get there, but I don't know how you believe you should be there, if I can put it that way. So the the latest rumor du jour is that Kyle Dubas will be replaced, and Sheldon Keefe, presumably, will be replaced in Toronto by the duo of Mark and Dale Hunter. I think you get there because you look at Brendan Shanahan and you ask yourself, where did Brendan Shanahan play his junior hockey? Oh, Oh, he played it in London, so there's a connection. I get it. So the next Shanna plan would be with the guys that run the franchise that Shanahan once played for 
boom, the hunters end up in Toronto to help the Leafs get to the promised land that the London Knights have clearly found in the Ontario Hockey League. So again, I, I get how you can make those connections, but even if you make them, I don't know how you try to pass them off as credible. To me, it's utterly preposterous. I have no inside intel, but I just can't make it make sense. Other than, sure, connect the dots, have some fun, but I can't see this happening. Yeah, I'm with you, Mike. I've heard the same thing, same rumblings from a couple spots, and I don't believe it for a second either. Just I I think there's way too much running in contrary to this story, but uh, but you can absolutely see where it comes from. We know we know Mark Hunter has interest in being an NHL GM again soon. We know that. We know he was kind of in the running uh, for Calgary. We know he had some interest in some of these other openings, so he's open to it. Now, we know Dale is very unlikely to leave London anytime soon, but if he were, the only circumstances under which I could see him doing that would be to follow Mark, who is the GM, and preferably somewhere close-ish to home. So, hello, Toronto. Hello, openings. <laughs> Um, so you can see where the, the links are made and you just referenced Brendan Shanahan being a London Knight, obviously really tied into the success the Hunter brothers have had and said, well, could they work their magic in Toronto? So you can, you can start to connect some dots, but I've also heard an awful lot of other names in the mix from Toronto that sound a lot more credible for a lot more credible sources, but what a wild story that would be former London Knight fires, former Sue Greyhound to bring in two more nights to so who knows but there are some definite intriguing ohl storyline potentials in in toronto this summer obviously mark hunter has already been a part of the front office for the toronto maple leafs he's no longer there we know dale left london for a minute and went and coached the washington capitals and had success had success with a team that others were saying nobody can have success with and he did but then he came right back to the Ontario Hockey League that that alone suggests to me that Dale Hunter I agree with you on on Mark and I think the desire is still there to try his hand as a general manager in the National Hockey League I don't think Dale wants to do anything other than become the winningest coach in the Ontario Hockey League history by a long shot and I think if he wants to be that he absolutely will be that but Interesting rumors anyway, just to finish the point on the Leafs, because as much as, and I'll tie it into the OHL this way, as much as the Ontario Hockey League is absolutely a, a stepping stone for players, for officials, you name it, to the next level, general managers, coaches, etc. I don't think the Toronto Maple Leafs are in a position right now to be looking at somebody that they're just going to break in, no matter how good they've been at the previous level, they're going to be looking for somebody, I believe anyway, with already National Hockey League experience or ties. It certainly sounds like that's top of Shanahan's criteria list for his new his selection as new GM. So, but you could argue, obviously, Mark Hunter has a lot of that based on some of the experience he's had since since leaving the playing world. Um, but yeah, did the Dale Hunter bit. He's got quite a legacy in the OHL, like you said, building towards the career all-time win record. 63 years old does he really have anything to prove would he want to have potentially tarnish his, his reputation by that hot seat in toronto uh but you have to figure at some point he's going to want to get out of the way of his son dylan in london and, and turn over the rain so it'll be interesting to see where this goes but it's definitely one of those things mike like you said i'll believe it when i see it yeah i'm with you 100 percent on that but some interesting storylines to watch for sure okay did did gord lowe's just become the most famous penalty box attendant 
in the history of hockey. I won't even say just in the history of the Ontario Hockey League, but game number four, Pete's Knights in Peterborough, Ryan Winterton gets sent to the penalty. But no, it was Humphrey, right? Humphrey. So pardon me, it was Humphrey. Yeah. I, I knew it was one of the rides. It was so Ryan Humphrey gets sent to the penalty box. And and for reasons I can't explain, uh, penalty box attendant Gord Lowe's engages a an already irate Ryan Humphrey and it didn't take a genius to read the lips especially of Ryan Humphrey with what he said to Gordy Lowe's I I'm I'm trying to make it all make sense but uh what's your take on the penalty box attendant <laughs> engaging with a player like that you know I obviously don't love the optics I mean all I have to go on is the short video we saw and it looked to me like a little over uh, zealous penalty box attendant, uh, not happy with something that was going on in the heat of the moment and maybe overstepped a little there. Um, I know friend of the podcast, Ryan Payette had a good article where he, he talked to the league about it and the league uh, VP Ted Baker had to say that he felt that both parties acquitted themselves quite well, that the penalty box attendant's job there is to follow protocol and knows when to close the door and, create a safe environment and he was not happy with the actions of the player let him know it but they worked it out they uh they're buddies in the end so that's kind of what ted baker said about the whole thing so so maybe it's much ado about nothing but certainly the optics were you know maybe chill out a little here just open and close the door leave the players be they're definitely buddies in the end as uh described by gord lowes himself during an in-game interview during game six in peterborough uh i shared I, I wrote down a couple of quotes this is what hockey's all about said gord you can be mad for one minute and away you go again it was a hockey moment that went bad for 30 seconds and then he proceeded to talk about how he went to see humphreys before the game in peterborough the London Knights were high-fiving them, et cetera. So yes, definitely a happy ending. And even that short video that went viral, you could see Humphrey and, and Lowe's were fine with one another by the time that penalty ended. But listen, I, I'm not here to, to pick on anybody or beat on anybody, but to the point you made a moment ago, Dan, as the penalty box attendant, you have a job. It's to keep that environment safe. It's to open the door, to close the door. I and and Gord explained in his in-game interview during game six that Humphreys was so upset that he wanted to make sure that he didn't go back out onto the ice and get himself into more trouble and maybe earn a suspension or something like that. Respectfully to Gord Lowe's, I don't know him at all, but respectfully, it's not your job. You're, like Again, your job, keep that environment safe for the player, open the door, close the door. I'm sure penalty box attendants and timekeepers with those spaces in between the penalty boxes have heard all kinds of things over the years. You just got to keep a lid on it, stare straight ahead and do your job. I, I just don't know why Gord in this case decided to engage, but I'm glad it had a happy ending and I'll just leave it there. Yeah. Well, I think I, I, if you've ever read some of the memoirs, I guess, of, players from the NHL that frequented the penalty box, they talk about all the relationships they built with the attendants over the years and how some of them are still friends. So there is a little bit of a, I'm sure a relationship built there over time with some of the players. In this case, I'm not sure it's it. It just reminds me of that uh, for the, for the older crowd here, uh, Farwell, that Seinfeld episode where Kramer was a ball boy at uh, the U S open and collided with the player. It's like sometimes when you're uh, 
an official or a, an attendant of any kind, the last thing you want to do is interact with the players during the course of the game in any way that brings yourself into the spotlight. Just do your job. Who would have thunk it, eh? Of all the storylines, minor as it is to emerge from an OHL final, we've got Gord Lowe's penalty box attendant. <laughs> <laughs> got to get your piece of the pie there, Mike. Got to get got to get your uh, your 15 seconds, 15 minutes of fame there. So... <laughs> All right, as we move into the Memorial Cup round robin and ultimately a Canadian Hockey League champion, I guess we've got one more crack at this performer of the week, Dan. So who's the last one you have on your radar as we wrap up this portion of our OHL podcast? All right, Mike, well, I'm going to go a little unprecedented here because like, there was a lot of options. Let's face it. there were I could rhyme you off the top of my head 15 names I think were deserving. But the unprecedented part Mike because I think I'm going to do what I probably shouldn't be doing is I'm going to go with the same guy twice in a row and that is Tucker Robertson and I'm going to tell you why I'm going to tell you why there's some obvious reasons goal and assist in a, in a 2-1 championship winning game game six but really what what put it over the top for me was you had Owen Beck suspended your face-off specialist you walk into game six and they tell Tucker Robertson in a deciding game you have to take 37 face-offs in the absence of your face-off specialist, and he won 26 of them. On top of scoring the goal and assist, by the way, in a 2-1 win. So I think that is just the type of performance in a clinching game that says you you couldn't possibly have impacted the game more as a single player. Um, so I'm going on Preston, Mike, and I'm giving another nod to our to our friend Tucker Robertson for for just a beastly performance in the win. It's an excellent choice. I had him on my mind too, but I'm like, wow, crap. Mahar just picked him last week. I'll let it go. (laughs) I I was taking a look at Connor Lockhart. I think for obvious reasons, stats aside, what a nice story it is. An off-season acquisition, plays the entire year with the Peterborough Peets. It's his OHL swan song, and he's off to the Memorial Cup. Uh, Hard to not like that story. Michael Simpson, I think, would be another obvious choice here. Had a bit of a hiccup in game number two, but really was terrific. And we've already talked about him on the podcast, but I'm going in a slightly, just an ever so slightly different direction as well. And I'm going to go with J.R. Avon in this one. He scored twice in the game that gave the Pete's a 3-1 series lead. He's got an assist as well, but over and above that, over the past three games, since the last time we had an episode of the OHL podcast, 18 shots on goal, five Five, and then eight more in game number six, though he didn't register a point. But that just shows me a guy that's in key places, putting pucks on net. How many times have we said in the history of hockey, throw the puck at the net and good things will happen. So I'm going to give J.R. Avon with his two goals, one assist, and 18 shots on goal over three games. Mine ought as performer of the week. And hey, it doesn't hurt if your stepdad is Steve Larmer. So I'll just throw that in there as well. <laughs> well, if you need verification, Mike, that's a great pick. I actually had three runners up this week and they were Michael Simpson, Avery Hayes and J.R. Avon. And I think all eight of J.R.'s shots tonight came in the first half of that game, too. So you talk about setting the tempo and setting the pace and trying to to make up for a loss of a couple key players in that lineup. But J.R. Avon just showed up every night quietly and did his job. So another great choice. All right. So we are headed into Memorial Cup time. Can the Peterborough Peets, A, 
get to another final and make it seven Memorial Cup finals appearances in 10 Memorial Cups. But more than anything, since 1979, we're talking, what, 44 years can they actually win a second Memorial Cup in franchise history? I guess it remains to be seen, but we'll keep breaking it down as the tournament gets underway. Yeah, and I, I think as OHL fans, Mike, we all turn to Peterborough fans now when they when you head to the Memorial Cup. That's the way it should be. You root for the uh, the OHL team and represent well. And best of luck to the the crew from Peterborough. And like I mentioned earlier, you're you're gonna hoist it. You're gonna earn it this year with who's at that at that tournament. So best of luck to Peterborough. Can I just add? I can't believe I forgot earlier because I put it in my mind. See if I don't write it down, I forget. But I wanted to mention, and I say this as a guy that. Grew up in Kitchener, has been a lifelong Kitchener Rangers fan, and now is fortunate enough to broadcast their games on radio. But ever since I was a kid, and it remains true to this day, I'm sorry to the quote-unquote blue shirts. I love the Rangers jersey with the exception of the cartoon cowboy that they brought back as a retro this year. Forget that. I wish we could forget that whole half of the 90s. Anyway, Peterborough Pete's, for my money, hands down, best unis in the league. Hands down. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue with you. I think I think they're they're terrific unis. They're classic, they're old school, they're unique. Yeah. I'm I'm not gonna argue on that one. All right. Let's uh look ahead to Friday's feature interview. Uh is it too much of a hint if I say, because we just talked about one of our guys that was in the mix for performer of the week in Connor Lockhart. So they played for the same team, but not at the same time. I'm really putting you on the right track here for sure. If you can connect that dot, shouldn't be too hard. Uh, was in the Montreal Canadiens organization with the Hamilton Bulldogs before they were an OHL team still in the AHL. And I think the best part of his story entirely was the night he was called upon <laughs> to, to don the goalie equipment and play goal. Uh, he's a forward, except for that one memorable game. So there is your guest for your feature interview on Friday's episode of the OHL podcast. I know I know exactly who that is, and it's quite a character. <laughs> <laughs> that guy over there is Dan Mahar. He's a character, too. He called Ryan Payette a friend of this podcast. <laughs> You'll find Dan on Twitter, at Dan Mahar. My name is Mike Farwell, at Farwell underscore OHL. Hey, are you sending Payette anything as condolences now that the OHL championship is over your buddy over there. <laughs> okay. He's friend of half the podcast. Can we say that? <laughs> <laughs> you can email us anytime. OHL podcast at rogers.com feature interview with the guy that once played goal coming up on Friday. Thanks for listening to the OHL podcast. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.